Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. There is, there is nothing I'm going to say. There's no picture that we could show you or video clip we could play that would translate what God did in this church this week. Monday night, Pastor Chad Smith brought a word from on high, and God really helped New Grace. Pastor Daniel Gray came in here uh, like he was jacked up on Mountain Dew. That man, that man got to preaching, and he jumped up and did a roundhouse kick. And I thought, if I did that, y'all would have to wheel me out of here. Man, we had a good time. The pastor we had coming in Wednesday had some personal emergencies and couldn't come, and we had to, we had to do an audible and a Hail Mary at the end. I even tried to get an, a, another guy, and it just didn't work out. I ended up being the guy bringing the word. And, um, man, I'm, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something that's really interesting. I, now, I want to say this to everybody that was here in Revival because I want you to hear something. I don't know if you could tell or not, but when we started Wednesday night, it started different than Monday and Tuesday. There was a wall in this room. A spiritual wall. And I, I, I knew it was going to be a battle. When that pastor called me and said, I'm not going to make it, I was like, the devil is going to be fighting this tonight. Because we're, we're at a culmination and a pinnacle. All this is coming together this last night. And I really want to bring somebody in. Y'all hear me all the time. You're used to me. So I really need, we need another voice. And it just so happened it wasn't going to work out that way. And I was battling sickness. I told my wife, I said, this is a spirit of infirmity. I said, I said, I got the devil coming after my sinuses right now. I said, seriously, this, this I, know, I know what's up. Devil done seen my notes. He saw my notes. And he heard me talking about it with God. We got here Wednesday night, and it was like a spirit wall into worship. And I came up to preach, and it was a spirit wall. And there ain't nothing that's going to tick me off spiritually more than a devil trying to clog the service up. I said, I'm going to drop this thing, and we're going to plow, and we're going to preach, and we're just going to keep, because I know where I'm going with this thing, and I'm going to keep on pushing, and I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on rolling with it. And that thing started breaking, and breaking, and breaking, and church, I'm going to tell you something. By the time it was over with, I'm talking the flood. We broke the damn wall. Don't, no, don't get on, don't walk out. Listen, there was a damn wall. And I preached, when I got to talking about that river, we started breaking through that dam. See, the devil will try to dam up what God's doing. And when you're obedient and you start pressing through, boy, that thing broke. And I'm going to tell you something. I ain't ever seen our church get stuck in the flow of God like we did Wednesday night. Nobody want to leave. I ended up having to just say, hey, if you, if you need to leave, it's late. Get your kid. It's okay. Get your kid. Some of y'all have got to go. I get it. Man, a big crowd stayed here. We had them lined across the front. We just prayed and we worshiped. We didn't get out of here till 1015. Like, I, I mean, I, we shut it down at 1015. And y'all were so, some of y'all were so crazy, you were like, Hey, I'll go to Waffle House, get an omelet, come back. 
I'm like, I'm going home. You know what's funny, man? Right after, right after the service was over, God just kind of pulled back the veil and re- revealed through a couple circumstances what that, what, what part of what the, why that wall was there. There ain't not, listen, there ain't nothing more damning when you get in the presence of God than a religious spirit. Now, you won't see it called religious spirit. A lot of times what you'll see it called is, is, is an antichrist spirit. It's anti that anointing that's on Christ. And it was prevalent in this room. And I ain't talking about one or two people. I'm talking about God just began to reveal, hey, there, there, was, there was some people trying to damn up what God was doing. And God just had to push through it. And he broke that flow, Brian. I'm telling you something, man. We saw revival taking place inside of people's lives. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that we don't just capture that, but we continue with it. And we allow God to work in ways that only He can work. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. Golly, we are going to definitely do that again. Maybe maybe I can warm y'all up now that I got you in with three nights. Maybe, maybe y'all will be ready next year to do four. Maybe I can get you to five nights. That's what I'm used to is five nights. It's once a year. It's once a year. Like, let me tell you something. There, are, there, were, there were kids in the altar, elementary school, elementary school kids in this altar right there, weeping and worshiping, breaking through with God. And it wasn't no thing for them that it was 945 because that youngin's used to playing travel ball and not getting home till 10 o'clock. It wasn't no thing. God just showed up and showed out. I remember one time, (laughs) I went up to South Carolina, preached for a guy. Five nights, it broke out. And I'm I'm like, broke out, like, broke out, broke out. And that thing went six weeks long. You talk about your flesh getting weak, getting tired. I drove back to South Carolina, night after night preaching, rolling with that thing. When God gets to moving and people are willing to move with him, this community ain't ready. This community ain't ready. They don't have any idea what's about to hit them. I just believe God designated this church to do something impossible. That's okay. I believe it for some of you that don't. I believe it enough for a third of the room. I believe he's going to do something amazing in here. And, and you lo- look, you light something on fire, people will come watch it burn. They will come watch it burn. Let's get to the word, Hebrews 9. A special shout out and thank you to everybody that made Revival possible, man. Everybody that served with kids. You are you were the hero of the week, not the guest speakers. You were the hero back there with the kids being selfless and serving. Can we give all of our kids volunteers? Come on, man. We got an amazing team. That was a lot different than serving on a Sunday morning. You were back there a little while, and you were patient, and God blessed your faithfulness. So thankful. Hebrews 9. Y'all probably wondering what this thing's doing on stage right here. Y'all thought I was going to come popping up out of this thing, didn't you? Stay with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere. Hebrews 9, verse 11. 
The writer says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, the kind of tabernacle that, that we're working with now, the writer says, is not that one that was standing in the wilderness. It's not like that temple you're thinking about over in the middle of Jerusalem. Ain't that. I know right now some of y'all are like, well, well what, what, what is it? Stay with me. I'm going I'm to show you. He says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered once into the holy place. That's that inner room in the tabernacle and temple where only the high priest could go once a year with the blood of a sacrifice. That's where God showed up in the Old Testament, inside that holy place. The Bible says that Jesus, by his own blood, entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I want you to look at that last phrase again. The sentence actually reads like this, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, and then he expounds. That next phrase between the commas could actually be in parentheses the way we would, we would uh, structure it in our English language. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience? Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I want to preach today and pose this question. Is your conscience clean? Is, is your conscience clean? Let's try to answer that question together biblically. See, science and psychology sums up the conscience in its most simple form as knowing the difference between right or wrong. It's your ability to know what's good and bad, right or wrong. Now, I think we could say biblically there's a whole lot more to the conscience than just knowing what's right or wrong. In fact, the word conscience appears several times in the Bible, and it, and it means in its most simple form moral awareness. That's what conscience means, moral awareness, but it's got different levels or, or different layers to it. It means this. Layer number one, conscience means the evaluation of good and bad. Well, that's kind of what science and psychology says it is, right? Your conscience is your evaluation of good and bad. Conscience is also in the Bible a witness to God's truth. In other words, you have a part of your psyche, your conscience, that bears witness to what is true concerning God. Like example, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and 2, how creation bears witness with our conscience. You can look at creation and tell there's a higher power. You can look at creation and tell there is a divine being. You can look at creation and tell that there is a God. It bears witness with your conscience. Conscience is also noted in Paul's writings as the scale of your Christian maturity. If you have a weak conscience, you're an immature believer. We would call that being a baby in Christ. If you have a strong conscience, you're a mature believer. We would say you're probably a full-blown, grown adult in Christianity. And there are some people that are 60 
that are six spiritually. And there's some people that are 25 and they're 45 spiritually. Okay? So conscience can sometimes be the scale of your maturity spiritually. But here is the meaning in Hebrews when he talks about purging our conscience. The meaning or the layer of conscience there regarding moral awareness is this. Listen to this. It is an informed or uninformed value system. I know. I'm going to break that down for you. Your conscience is your informed or uninformed value system. In other words, your conscience is how you see yourself with God and how much of God's truth you understand determines how healthy or unhealthy you see yourself with God. Let me say this very quickly by way of introduction. Most people that become Christians, this is a sad observation that I'm having to share with you. Most people that become Christians never conquer this part of their conscience. They never conquer how they see themselves with God mainly because they are uninformed in their conscience on how God sees them. They do not have enough biblical truth. What does the Bible say? People perish for a lack of knowledge. For most of our lives here in the Bible Belt or in North Georgia, most of us have heard some presentation of the gospel. Most of us have heard some form of Christianity. And if somebody right now was to take, help us take lie detector tests on whether or not we think we're Christians, most of us would say that our definition our identity, we're a Christian. But we could not explain to you what that means biblically. We've just been told that we're Christians. And, and we have little knowledge, understanding, and truth in this word about what that means for us. What am I saying? A lot of us are ignorant of how God sees us. And because we're ignorant of how God sees us, we see us in an ignorant way especially when it comes to God. See, a lot of people that can't conquer their conscience or they can't conquer how they see themselves with God, they live their life always feeling, thinking, and believing that they have to do more to be accepted by God. This is what religion teaches you. This is what traditional, traditional religion teaches you. Oh, you're not doing enough. You're not, you're, not, you're not doing enough church stuff. You're not doing enough religious stuff. You're not doing enough godly stuff for God to like you, for God to accept you, for God to embrace you. You need, here it is, here's religion, you ready? You need to do more. You need to be a better person. You need to stop those bad habits. Let's start with the, let's start with the base level right here, right? You need to stop cussing. You need to change what you're posting. You need to stop fighting with each other. Can you hear hear the hellfire brimstone religious preacher leaning over that wooden pulpit? Ah, The Bible says that 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 thou shalt not sin. Oh, be sure that your sin will find you out here. You ever heard that? Somebody in this room is not right with God. I'm like, Somebody's got sin in their life. I'm like, I'm struggling. 
What does that do? What does that do? Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. At the base of what most of those guys are trying to say, biblically, they're not wrong. What they do is they present the text in such a way that makes us have to be religious, and we feel like we have to do something more to be right with God. I'm going to help you right here. Watch this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. See, these Hebrew believers were being pressured. This right here is written, Hebrews is written to Jewish people who used to do the Old Testament sacrifice system and have now put their faith in Jesus Christ as the only sacrifice. Now they're being pressured by religious Jewish zealots. No, 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 you need to go back. That's not enough. Those guys were saying, this is so dangerous, they were saying, Jesus isn't enough. You need to go back to offering sacrifice. You need to go back to slaying animals. You need to go back to that temple and you need to get a priest to go in there beyond that temple veil where the holy presence of God is. You need the priest to go do that for you so you and God can be on speaking terms. You need to, here's the key word, do more. And so when he says we need to purge our conscience from dead works, dead works is the mindset of I have to do more. See, we, we see this right away in the Bible. This isn't something that just happened in Hebrews. This happened in the very beginning after Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and Abel. Remember when it came time to worship the Lord, Cain, who was a gardener, goes out there and creates some beautiful floral arrangement. Sweat of his brow, the work of his hands, down there on his knees, working, towing, toiling, plowing, planting, reaping, putting this thing together. And brings it to God, and God is displeased. Abel, in worshiping God, goes out as a shepherd, goes to his flock, takes a firstling, a young lamb, spills its blood, offers it as a sacrifice. God is pleased with the bloodshed and sacrifice. God is displeased because this guy tried to work something into presentation. God said, You're both in debt to me. You both owe me. Something has to pay for your sin. If you're going to have a relationship with me, if you're going to approach me, if you're going to come to me, something has to pay for it. He's like, all right, plants are going to pay for it. He puts his work into this thing, and God's displeased. Abel's like, there's nothing I can do with my hands or my mind. There's nothing I can do that's going to pay for my sin I know the law of sacrifice, something has to pay. The innocent has to take the place of the guilty. So it's either going to be, here's here's Abel's thought, it's either going to be me or it's going to be this lamb. So he lets it be the lamb and God says, I'm satisfied. This whole works versus faith, works versus blood thing has been around a long time. So what's the author referring to when he says, you guys need your conscience cleaned from these dead works? He's talking about going back to a system of doing more. He says you need your mind regenerated, renewed concerning the idea that the only way you can come to God in his holiness and in his presence is by doing more. And apart, I wrote this down, apart from Jesus, 
Listen to me. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how many times you've been to Sunday school. I don't care how, how many tires you change on the side of Interstate 85 or 441. I don't care how many kittens you rescue from trees. I don't care how many meals you take to sick people. I don't care how much you invest in your philanthropy spirit and nonprofit entities. I don't care. I don't care. Listen to me. Apart from Jesus, your conscience will be contaminated with dead words. Works, dead ideas, dead thoughts, dead concepts, dead momentum. You have nothing but dead works in your mind. And at best, you'll produce dead religion. So how do you keep your conscience from being contaminated with this idea that I have to do, I have to do, I have to do? Let me say something very quickly, and I'll get here to the end in a second. I don't do. I don't, I don't come to this church. I don't give 10% of our income. I don't, I don't serve people. I don't counsel. I don't, I don't read the word. I don't have a prayer life. I'm not going to come to the men's prayer gathering tomorrow night. I'm not doing any of those things so that I can be accepted by God. I do those things because I am accepted by God. Okay? With that in mind... I want every person in this room to know, like every, every, I don't care if you're lost or saved, because if you're in here and you're not saved, today you can get saved and this can work for you. Every person, under the sound of my voice, can have a clean conscience. Well, how, how am I going to do that in one day? How am I going to do that in one message? You can do that by believing and receiving these absolutes in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. The first absolute is as follows. Verse number 11. Christ came as a high priest, and that high priest was a shadow of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Wait, wait so you mean the, the, the one we've been using ain't the best one? Oh, we're going to build a third one in Jerusalem. No, 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 no. It's all, everything on earth is a picture of something that's happening in heaven. Did you know that? It mirrors. There is a mirror. Everything in the seen realm mirrors something in the unseen realm. The tabernacle, the temple, that whole sacrifice system mirrors something that is happening in heaven. He says, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, watch this, but by his own blood. I want you to see that last phrase, but by his own blood. Jesus came, Jesus submitted, Jesus shed, and he offered his own blood. So here's the first absolute that I need you to cling to. You need to believe and you need to receive the cost of Jesus' blood. Let me preach it quick to you. I want you to get this. If you want to have a clean conscience, the first absolute you need to cling to is you need to believe and receive the cost of Jesus' blood. God has always, from the dawn of time, demanded blood to be shed. What does that phrase mean, bloodshed? It means a life being taken by death, a life paying for another life. That is what bloodshed means. In fact, Levitic, do we have that verse from Leviticus? Leviticus, look at this, 1711. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's true biologically. That's true. But notice this. It's also true spiritually. 
Because God said, I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. God gave us blood to biologically keep us alive. But that blood is also the means by which an atonement is made for a guilty soul full of sin. What am I saying? The payment system in the Old Testament was never enough to pay the final price. The Old Testament sacrifice of goats and calves and bulls and pigeons and animals was never enough to pay off the cost of humanity's sin. That is why Jesus had to give his own blood. He drew his blood on the cross and a blood transfusion, a blood transaction was made for every man and woman that would ever be born into sin and need a savior. It was not it was not the blood of bulls or goats or animals. It was by the cost of Jesus' blood. God became a human. And God shed human blood. God shed his blood for your sin. So you have to reach a point where you get this settled in your conscience. God's going to demand payment, and it's either going to be his blood or mine. Somebody's going to pay for your sin. So the question today is, whose bleed, whose blood do you plead? Ain't no part of me that walked on this property today thinking I had to do something to keep my blood from being spilled. The blood's already been spilled. There is no question as to where that payment comes from. It comes from Jesus. If you believe that and you receive the cost of his blood, give him praise in this house. The second absolute. Notice the rest of the verse. By his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I want you to get this in your conscience. You believe and receive the cost of his blood. Secondly, I want you to believe and receive the clearance of his blood. It says his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. He came through the doors of the tabernacle and temple. He walked through the holy place beyond the veil into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was a gold box that contained Aaron's rod, a pot of manna, and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was the law of God contained in that book. Man was responsible for breaking that law. Man could not keep that law. The only way God could look upon his law as being fulfilled and kept was if blood was shed on behalf of it. The law says somebody has to pay. The high priest would take the blood of those animals. He would go in there once a year, and he would put that blood. It was a blood bath. He would take a hyssop branch, and he would sprinkle. He would spread 
and dab and paint that blood all over that mercy seat, all over that ark, all over that place. And when that blood that had been shed for sin was taken in there by the priest and placed on the mercy seat, placed on the ark, that is when the presence, the holy glory of God would come down. And he would look upon that law, see it covered in the blood of an offering. Forgive the sins of the people as a whole. And the high priest would come out. And when he would finally emerge from that tabernacle, all the congregation would worship and praise because they knew that God had atoned and forgiven their sin. Every person that believed in Jesus right here, somebody was telling them, go back to that system. Do something else because Jesus is not enough. Once a year, he'd go into the holy place and he'd go in with blood. And the Bible says right here, that by Jesus' blood, he entered the holy place. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. It's on the screen for your reading. I want you to remember that the tabernacle and the veil was actually a figure of heaven itself. The high priest was a figure of Jesus himself. Verse 11 says, Christ being come as a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. When Jesus died and he rose again, when Jesus went to heaven to present the blood, listen to me, church, did he go into Jerusalem, into the holy place, in place of the priest? He went into the ultimate holy place. He appeared in heaven before God the Father who sits upon the throne. And Jesus came with the nail scars in his glorified body's hands and he presented his blood as the payment, as the offering, as the substitution for sin once. High priest had to go back in once a year, every year. The people never could get their conscience clean because just he comes out this year and he says, it's done. And you're like, yes, until next year. He's got to keep going back in. But Jesus went in once. And he's going to come out once. And when he comes out, he's going to get everybody he paid for. You're not, hear, you're not hearing me. He went in once. He doesn't ever have to to die again. He doesn't ever have to shed his blood again. He went in, and when he went in, the Bible says that he obtained eternal redemption for us. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus went in with his blood, he opened the veil. Who's the only person in the tabernacle allowed to go on the other side of the veil? The high priest. Jesus becomes our high priest, takes his own blood as the lamb, goes in, pays it all. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus died that the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. If it was torn from the bottom, it was like 40-something feet high. It was like five or six inches thick. If it was torn from the bottom up, we could say that man tore it but it was torn from the top down. Because when Jesus died and the blood was presented, oh my God, are you hearing? When the blood was presented, 
and he died. He appeared in heaven on behalf of us. God took that veil that was separating. Listen to this. The only person allowed in here was a high priest. I am not even qualified. One, because I'm not Jewish. If I was, based on things that have happened to me in my life, physically and relationally, I would not be. Listen to me. The person you think right now walks on water. person you would call if you were in a crisis at the hospital with a loved one. I'm not even qualified to be the guy that goes in here because it's so holy and it's so sacred and God's so serious about sin that I couldn't even be the guy qualified. But Jesus, who was qualified, went in with his own blood, ripped the veil as to say, we don't need this anymore. You don't have to depend on a man to come in here and do something for you. In fact, all this is, is a mirrored illustration of what I've done in heaven. And when Jesus went into heaven with his blood, he created a clearance. You're not hearing me. He gave you and I access, entry into the ultimate holy place with God. If there was a temple in Jerusalem right now, some of you would be like, oh, I'm not spiritual enough to go in there. Forget in there. Jesus went into heaven on your behalf, took his blood, presented it for your sin, and now you can go before God. You don't need a priest. You don't need an animal. You don't need a hyssop branch. You don't need a veil or an ark. You can go before God right now. I'm about to help you. I'm about to help you conscience. Listen to this. Listen to this. I wrote this down. Because that redemption has granted us clearance. We can go into heaven itself before God himself. We have clearance into heaven with God while down here. Which means I can come before God in this life while down here in spirit. I can't get my body to leave this planet. And I don't need, I don't need the assistance of LSD or psychedelics or a bag of mushrooms to trip my way into the holy place. But because my faith is in Jesus and his blood has been presented on my behalf in heaven, there is clearance for me right now to come before God. What am I saying? What am I saying? I'm telling you that I've been to heaven without being there. I've already come before God because every time I pray and every, every time I declare his name and every time I talk to him, I am literally in spirit appearing before God. It's the same thing as me being in the very room with him. God has made clearance. I don't have to live out here hoping that every now and then I've done enough good stuff where God will let me in there. I can actually live in here all the time because everything that's supposed to happen for me to have clearance has already happened. So nothing about my life should ever keep me from praying and coming in here. It also means that I will have clearance with God when up there. In the afterlife, in person. St. Peter ain't a bouncer. Standing by the gate that's going to ask you a series of questions. They don't have a VIP section and they ain't sitting there letting people in and out with a stanchion. Like the moment I die, I'm in. 
There's not some waiting room or a holding cell. When I die or when Jesus comes, I have complete clearance because everything I needed to come in front of God has already been granted through Jesus. If you believe that and receive that, clap your hands, give him praise. Now here's where, my last point, but here's where I really want to, I really want to speak to you on a personal level now that I've given you a lot of theology. Are you with me so far? Say amen. amen. How do I clean my conscience? How do I, how do I get this in my head? How, this whole thing you talk about, man, it's kind of deep, but how do I get this? You believe and receive that the blood paid the cost for you. All right, so I, ha- I stand out here and I can't get in there with God. I'll never go to heaven. I'll never be able to talk to him. I cannot have a relationship with him because I have this debt right here in my hand called sin. Somebody's got to pay for it. None of y'all can pay for mine. None of us can pay for yours. Somebody's got to pay for this. And God says blood has to be shed. So is my blood going to be shed in judgment? And me cast into hell because I'm going to come in front of God with my debt ticket and say, hey, I'll take care of this. How's that going to work? How am I going to come in front of God and say, I'll take care of this? God's going to say, no, I already took care of it with my son. Do you plead his blood or yours? Apparently you're pleading yours. You, You neglected him, ignored him, rejected him your entire life. You did not want him. And now you're going to stand in front of me and realize that what you have to offer is not enough. But I gave you a life called existence and time called a valuable treasure and you rejected it? Into hell you will go, prepared for the devil and his angels because you rejected the sacrifice that I made for you. And then the Bible says that because Jesus did this for us, we now have clearance, which means there should be no reason I stay out of here. I can come before God at any time, and it's the same thing as that priest coming into the holy place, except I'm not coming into somewhere on earth. I'm coming into heaven in the very presence of God. Do you, do you see that when you pray? Because if you see that when you pray, it, it'll make you do more than take your hat off. If you realize right now that I am literally preaching the word of God, and we have been praying in this service, some of y'all will stop cutting up. You'll stop looking at your phone. You'll actually get really serious and really sober-minded because you realize that this is, the, this is the same thing as sitting in front of God. And when you sit in front of God, you start confessing stuff. I don't confess stuff out here so I can get in there. Knowing that I'm in here makes me go, this doesn't have any place. This doesn't need to be here. This doesn't belong. If you miss this last point, you'll spend your whole life living out here, feeling guilty and unworthy. And I dare to say, I dare to say that statistically, the church ratio-wise looks a lot like Israel did. Most people are living out here and very few ever go in there. As some of you in this room, your guilt causes you to live out here. And Jesus has already ripped that curtain. 
and made a way for you. And you think I go in there because I've been to Bible college. You think I go in there because I'm more spiritual than you. You think, you think that I don't struggle with lust. You think I don't struggle with lying. You think that I don't think about cussing. You think that it doesn't get to the end of my tongue. You think that it never jumps off. I was having a day the other day. In fact, it was last, it was Monday, revival. I'm at Quick Trip. I'm famished. So I go in to get me an energy drink and a chicken sandwich. No, it was racetrack, not Quick Trip. Racetrack at Banks Crossing. And I'm standing out there and I'm eating my chicken sandwich. I look like some Ukrainian mobster with my stupid checkered suit on, you know, and I'm out there eating this chicken sandwich, and I got a, my AirPods in like I'm somebody, and I got my monster sitting there on this little post, and I'm eating, finish my stuff, I'm just enjoying the beautiful day, looking at the birds, thinking about Jesus, can't wait for revival. Get in my car, and I've been having trouble with my little backup mirror. Sometimes it just blacks out on me. And it blacked out, and I, was, and I was backing up already, and then I went to turn, and here comes, here comes Bubba and his Dodge Ram. And he comes right up on me. Pastor Jeff, he comes right up on me. And I, and I had like a split second where I forgot about revival. And I saw myself going over to his Ram, pulling him out, headbutting him right in the face. Bam! You picked the wrong day, boy. I'm about to introduce you to Jesus or the devil. And and like I'm capable of that. I've done that. So don't come flying up on me in a parking lot. <laughs> Some of y'all think the only, you think I go in there because I got something you don't. When God looks at Derek Anglin, he sees the exact same thing as he sees when he looks at Kevin Freeland. He sees the exact same thing when he looks at Amanda Wood. He sees the exact same thing when he looks at Alan Glaze. He sees the same thing when he looks at Vicki Seagraves. He sees us in the blood of Jesus. Remember, that's the only thing. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Verse 13, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, that's us, we're unclean. If all that does is sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, meaning all those things could do was clean you up outwardly, religiously, and ceremonially. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, which is how much more shall Jesus' blood cleanse you inwardly, spiritually, mentally from dead works to serve the living God? So you believe and receive.
in the cost of Jesus' blood. You believe and receive in the clearance of Jesus' blood. But here's the ticket. Are you ready? Young lady, you have to believe and receive in the cleansing of Jesus' blood. Oh, there's a problem here in the church. There's a, there's a problem here. I, I wrote this down. I wrote this down. I have to come to a point where I don't just trust the blood for my sin. I trust it for the stain of my sin. I don't just trust it for the damnation of my sin. I trust it for the damage that sin has made. This is the classic, I know I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. Okay, well, let me help you with something. I've been studying this thing for 20 years, and I have never found one passage or one verse that ever talks about you forgiving yourself. It's not in there. If, if you can forgive yourself, if you have the authority to forgive yourself, you have the authority to condemn yourself. Like, forget for a second what he said. Forget what he did. You're saying that the way you feel about yourself overrides what he did for you. So you're going to walk around and live your life feeling guilty and undeserving and unworthy. And you go, I mean, we'll do enough to get you to church because you like this and you kind of like me, but that's it. But you'll never do anything with your Christian life because you're convinced that you belong out here and your dad can live in there and other people can live in there and other teenagers can live in there, but you, you, you stay out here because you're dirty and you're filthy. And you know what it sounds to me like? It sounds to me like you believe that you'll actually go to heaven when you die and you believe you're actually forgiven, but it's not about your sin. You can't get rid of the stain of your sin in your brain. You can't get rid of the damage that sin did to you. And you, you feel like you've got to do more. And maybe it's because some of y'all came up in a legalistic, oppressive religious system or religious household, and, and, and some of you were always told, no, 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 no. No, don't, don't, don't. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You, you've been told that your whole life, and it's caused you. That, that almost sounded like a remix right now. We should take that audio and remix that. Some of you have been told that your whole life, and every time, every time Derek Anglin is walking down a sidewalk, and he sees green grass and a sign that says, do not step on the grass. I want to step on the grass. Every time there's a law that says thou shalt not, I'm like, look at it, say it. And so you've come up in this system of religion and not redemption. And you think that you don't do enough to deserve a spot in there. That's not biblical. And therefore you walk around going, I just can't forgive myself. Who the heck said you're supposed to? How are you supposed to forgive what God's already forgiven? If God's already forgiven it, who are you need, who are you to need to check it off? Paul didn't say this one thing I do, forgiving myself for the things which are behind. He said this one thing I do, forgetting. 
neglecting, ignoring. I know it's there. I know it happened. Can't change it. I know people know about it. People may talk about it, but I'm forgetting. Talk to the hand, devil. I'm over it. I'm moving past it. I'm moving on. I cannot reach forward if I'm holding on to my past. You got to let go of history if you want to start holding on to some destiny. I need somebody to help me give God some praise right there. If you know, we got to stop looking back. We got to start letting go. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe and receive the cleansing of God's word according to the blood. Let me land this plane. In verse 9 and here again in verse 13. It's obvious that the priestly works of the Old Testament were not enough to bring inner transformation. In other words, there was never a change in the believer's conscience. What does that mean? This is neat. This is neat. They didn't teach us this in college. But the children of Israel, this says that the children of Israel, even though a high priest was going in there, the children of Israel never had an inner transformation in their conscience. Isn't that crazy? Like even though they knew somebody was going in there and doing that, they still stayed the same inside. And he says, knowing that this has happened for you should change the way you think about yourself. I wrote this down. I'm almost done. Believing and receiving this blood cleansing works deeper than religious ordinances and practice because it has the power to cleanse your very conscience. I wrote this down. Here's the truth. I cannot do enough church stuff to clean my conscience. Neither can you. I wrote this down furthermore. Listen closely. Anything that I do that makes me feel better about myself with God is surface level temporary and religious. <laughs> when, I first, when I first became a Christian... Um, I used to feel good about myself when I read my Bible. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going somewhere, man. Like, I'm, I'm getting there. Or I'd pray and I'd be like, check. Or I'd go to church, I'm like, three times a week, check. And I felt better about myself. But then when I would mess up, I was like, you don't deserve to be in there, you piece of crap. Don't even go to church. You'll probably, the place will probably... Blow up into flames if you walk in there. You know? They don't want me in there. I don't deserve to be in there. Well, no crap. You sure are full of yourself, aren't you? Making it about you. You're really full of yourself. You, you think a lot of yourself to make it about you like that in light of what Jesus has done for you. Here's what I don't understand. If... The blood of Jesus was good enough for God. Why isn't it good enough for you? If the blood of Jesus changed the way God sees you, why can't it change the way you see you? Here it is. If the blood of Jesus is enough to clear your condemnation with God the Father, it ought to be enough to clean your conscience with yourself. Because here's the deal. You'll end up living out here. You'll think that people that come to the altar are the only ones that ever go in there. You'll think that people that say amen and clap their hands while I'm preaching, or only the people that stand up are the only ones that ever belong in there. Let me tell you something. All these people that clap their hands and say amen and stand up, they are just as twisted and distorted and jacked up as you are. Some of y'all are like, oh, I know. I know, I've seen their Facebook, I know. <laughs> I know. 
The blood of Jesus is a deep cleanse. Come on, JJ. The blood of Christ, he says in verse 14, is supposed to purge your conscience. I wrote this down. Faith in his blood, not a feeling. Faith in his blood, not a feeling, is what frees your conscience from guilt, shame, and unworthiness. And this goes way beyond me knowing that God is good with me. This is deep enough for me to be good with me. You got to get it like this. There's a simple fact. You're a sinner. And after you become a Christian, you're still going to sin. Okay? And if you get caught up in your mind of thinking you have to do more spiritual stuff for God to like, love, accept, or embrace you more, you're the same thing as these Hebrew Christians thinking that they have to do more stuff. That's called dead works. And so here's what happens. When your conscience is cluttered and contaminated with this kind of mindset, you walk around still feeling in debt. I could turn to Luke chapter 16 and preach on hell so hot some of you would question your salvation and then you'd get saved all over again which there was no such thing but you'd get saved all over again just because just because you have a contaminated conscience and you don't know what you have or who you are and so I am persuasive enough with the power of public speech to change your mind about going to heaven and make you think that you're going to hell that's scary isn't it I've heard preachers do it for years instead of me doing that and going, hey, we had 10 more get saved. And you got saved three years ago. Why not hand you the keys to your own freedom and say, this is not about you needing something more from God. This is you. It's not, look, here it is. It's not about you appreciating the blood. It's about you appropriating it. It's about you just getting it settled. Like you get it settled. Okay, that's enough. It's enough for God, it's enough for me. Now, I'm going to stop feeling guilty, and I'm going to get involved with this church. That's the reason some of you won't. You're like, I drink beer, so what? So what? See, the problem, or, or I, I, like, I like to smoke tobacco, or uh, I like to cuss, or uh, I watch rated R movies, or all right, so what? Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Every time we start bringing into question things we think are wrong with us, we're attaching ourselves to something that's not a root. Like, we can sit here and deal with the fruit. Like, it's not about, I drink beer. It's, do you drink beer to blind your mind's eye to the horrors of your life? Do you Are you dependent on a substance because there's a void and a vacuum inside of you and you're trying to drown out a devil instead of deal with it? See, I'm not one of those preachers that gets up and attaches or attacks the fruit of an issue. I want to deal with the root of an issue. Here's, here's what I tell you to do. Bring your cussing, smoking, beer drinking butt up here with the blood of Jesus. And tell me if being in his holy presence don't start touching on stuff. You don't need me to spell it out for you. 
You don't need me to hound you or take a Bible and beat the hell out of you. You know what you need is you need to appropriate what Jesus has done and let the blood cleanse your conscience. Because when you have a clean conscience, you're able to navigate life, wisdom, balance, maturity, and discretion. I mean, it is sad that there are grown men who will not get involved with this church. You won't become an usher. You won't become a parking lot attendant. You won't drive a bus. You won't get on this worship stage. You won't do stuff because you like a good bear. And you're going to set your, all of your Christianity. Am I telling you to go down here and get you a case of Natty Light? No. I'm not telling you. I didn't say that. That's another sermon, another subject for another day. What I'm saying is you're making it all about these things in relation to a religious system of do's and don'ts. You know what I found out? The presence of God fixes my life. The Word of God fixes my life. The Holy Ghost is my teacher. And there are things about me and about you that, that, that I realize when being in here, it's, 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 it doesn't get sealed back up. You can't go out there. I'm not telling you you can oh, go live like hell. Oh, you're saved now. It doesn't matter. You got your little get out of hell free card. Go live like hell. I question whether or not you actually have it if you can go live like hell and not care. I don't see anything in this Bible that says someone can become a follower of Christ and then go live like hell, ignore God, not live according to his commandments and his word, and actually go to heaven. I don't think they really got it. I think they were just scared of burning forever. I think they just felt guilty in the moment. But when the goosebumps were gone and the music wasn't playing and the preacher wasn't preaching, God stopped bothering them. It doesn't sound like it was real to me. I had a few places in my life where I went out here and got stupid, did something dumb, still do something dumb. Tomorrow cometh. Right? But at no point is it going to seal back up. Sanctification is realizing, oh wait, I don't have to visit there. I can live there. Sanctification is, I have complete access to Him 24-7. He's more open than a Waffle House. Somebody say amen. And here's the deal. When you don't believe and receive this, see, a lot of you believe it, but you haven't received it for yourself. You believe it. You believe it. Yeah, I believe that. You better. But do you receive it? I'm not agonizing and stressing over a whole bunch of do's and don'ts anymore because... I've received that. I'm good with me now. No, I'm not saying like I'm good with me, like I don't have any work to do or I don't have anything that God needs to work on. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I'm not, I'm not, I am not going to stand out here, feel like I'm in debt, feel like I have no clearance, and always walk around feeling guilty because that is contrary to the Word of God. If I will believe and receive what His blood has done, making a way for me to come to God, will free my conscience. It will, it will, I will start seeing my view of myself in line with God's view of myself. I 
stop coming down here and praying the same prayers. I'm sorry. Oh, God. And then go home and fuck a piece of crap. And get home by 6 o'clock, you're like, you know what? Screw it. I can't do this. Happens. Happens. Left-handed cigarettes. Just, I just need to, I just need to, I need, I need to get away. I need to get away. I can't, this, this Christianity stuff is too hard. Too hard. You didn't have to do anything. Yeah. Too hard? What are you talking about? Too hard. You didn't die. You weren't tortured. You weren't beaten with a cat of nine tails. They didn't put nails in your hands and your feet. What are you talking about? Too hard. He paid for you. He did it for you. He took your place. And how dare you? It's a disgrace. That you will treat your guilt with a higher respect than his grace. You know, that's, a, that, that's what's a shame. That's the shame is that you think more of your wrong than you do of his right. I don't feel unworthy. You know why? I'm not so full of myself anymore that I think this is about my worthiness because my Bible just told me in Hebrews that it was about his worthiness. If it's about his worthiness, I'll stop making it about me. And I'll go in there. What's he say? The blood of Jesus shall purge your conscience. Is there a period right there? Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That word serve, remember the priestly context of Hebrews. That word serve is talking about serving in worship like a priest. What's it's talking about? It, it, now that's for all of us. That's for, all, that's for men and women. That's for young and old, white and black. That's for everybody. It says that once you get this, and it cleanses your conscience, and it hits you that this is talking about this for you, you're able to start worshiping and living for God like a priest who can always go in there. In other words, there is no thread of guilt or shame that should keep me from worshiping God or praying or serving Him. There is nothing about my life that should keep me from living on the outside of where I belong. Stop living outside your clearance. Stop living outside of your cleansing. Stop acting like the cost hasn't been paid. Here's my question to you. Is your conscience clean? Mine is. Mine is. My conscience is clean because I've gotten it settled in my head that it's settled in heaven. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. Now i got, now I got work to do. Now I'm going to start doing something. Okay? So... When, when I get up over these next couple months, gentlemen, I'm talking to you specifically because I think the devil's working twice as hard right now on the men of our generation than he ever has. And I think he's targeting their minds and their conscience. And I think w- between guilt trips, unworthiness, and, and insecurity, I think the devil is striking fear and unbelief and doubt into older and younger men. And I think he's really active right now in our church because he doesn't want, like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start talking about certain team positions that need your involvement. I'm going to start talking about becoming a trusted giver of our church. Soon I'm going to start telling you about what's, what's about to start happening. 
with our church. And I'm gonna need you to step up. What do I mean step up? Stop thinking you belong out there when God made a place for you right there. You belong in there like I do. If you believe in Jesus and you've received his blood, you belong in there. Somebody help me. We need some authority in this house. Come on, we need some authority. We need, we need to go ahead and we need to let our praise like ministers, like priests, like worshipers in the house of the tabernacle. We need to lift up a thunderous praise and remind the devil. Come on, say it till your mind believes it. Say it till your spirit aligns it. Say it till your spirit aligns with it. I know who I am. I know whom I believe. It's not about my works. It's not about my righteousness. It's not about my deeds. It's about his blood. One drop of his precious blood. It is more than enough to wash away not just my sin, but the stain. Not to remove damnation, but also fix the damage. The blood is enough. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.